I had just started a new job in the middle of this. I remember going to a job interview dinner wearing a catheter. It was like between treatment sessions. And a catheter, it's like, it's like having a bag of urine strapped to your leg. It's pretty uncomfortable. And I remember kind of hide it. Like, who's going to hire a guy wearing a catheter, right? So I just started a new job, and I just didn't want the fact that I was sick in the middle of this thing to be an issue. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. How does one maintain routine and regularity when a cancer diagnosis and its treatment threatens to upend life as one knows it? Today I'm speaking with Charlie Tursik, who in 2010 was diagnosed with and treated for bladder cancer. Charlie talks about the critically important role his family played in taking the lead to find the right care when the route he initially chose did not go as planned. He also reflects on the way that cancer has made him more willing to move on quickly from experiences that don't work out as expected, how going through the experience together strengthened the bond between him and his wife and his feelings for gratitude for what he has. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. Charlie, thank you for coming in to talk to me today. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin with a bit of background. Uh, will you tell me a bit about yourself, your cancer diagnosis, and the treatment that you underwent? Sure. I'm a middle-aged guy here in Los Angeles, California. My wife and I have two kids who are both out of the house in college. Uh, here's my cancer story, briefly. We were on a summer vacation in China in 2010. It was a two-week trip, marvelous trip. Uh, our last morning there, woke up, went to the bathroom, and uh, was surprised to see ur- uh, blood in my urine. Never happened to me before. Didn't really know what to make about it. Uh, I think I mentioned it to my wife, but it's like, you know, whatever, right? Uh, on the flight home, uh, brought it up again with my wife, and we decided, oh, you know, you should probably call your doctor. So uh, the next morning, I called my doctor, so maybe two days, three days after I noticed this. And I'll never forget this because um, it was kind of a harbinger of things to come. The first thing out of my doctor's mouth when I told him about the blood in my urine was, and I'd never heard a doctor say this before, he said, shit, that's not good. It's like, oh, nice. oh, okay, here we go, right? So I knew something was up. So right away he sent me off for uh, x-rays, I think. I think it was x-rays. And lo and behold, there's a uh, tumor in my bladder, okay? So eh, a little scary, but we'll see what happens. He couldn't really diagnose it or much. So they sent me to a, uh, um, a urologist at Cedars-Sinai, and this was an older doctor who was a, a very self-assured guy, very confident and he looked at my x-rays and uh, checked me out and uh, with a lot of bravado said, hey, you know what, there's time this coming Friday. We'll take that out of you and you'll be off and running in no time. You really got nothing to worry about, okay? He was an extremely confident guy. Okay, great. So we're nervous, of course, cancer. You know, I've been healthy my entire life. Never uh, had anything remotely as serious as this. So uh, we go in the Friday morning for the... Uh, for the operation, he's going to remove my tumor out of my bladder and knock wood. I'll wake up Saturday morning fine. So uh, I'm passed out, and the operation happens, and I wake up, and things are suddenly very, very different. Mm. 
Um, in the middle of removing this tumor, the doctor, this super confident guy decided it was more than he can handle. And he thought he decided he couldn't do it. He couldn't get rid of the whole thing. So he stopped. He left a lot of it still inside me and actually had that awful conversation with my spouse where this is uh, difficult to talk about. He sat her down and said, hey, you know, I don't think this can be removed after all. Uh, Sorry, I was a little wrong, I suppose, in my diagnosis. But I actually think we should remove Charlie's bladder altogether, um, which, of course, changes everything. And has serious implications. You know, I'd have to wear a catheter the rest of my life or get some sort of artificial bladder. Uh, There are lots of them, and they're not perfect. I guess they're getting better, but still, it would be kind of a pain. And it would have, you know, massive implications on my sex life. Uh, So that's where it was left. So I came out of my, you know, ether-induced thing Saturday morning to this kind of nightmarish, honestly. Yeah. We went home. And I was, it was um, up until that point, kind of on autopilot. And at that point, it was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, shit got real, pretty serious and scary at this point. And this is where my, uh, my wonderful, uh, brilliant and tenacious wife really snapped into action. She um, refused to accept this guy's um, diagnosis. Because the guy is not a bad doctor. At least he was honest, but he was, he was pretty off the mark. Was he just looking at the a scan or something when he made this evaluation? It was, I think, scans and x-rays. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, and it was more than he could handle. Right. So my wife, who's pretty bright and pretty uh, uh, tenacious when she needs to be, got to work on finding a second opinion. And we're lucky enough to have a doctor in our family. My wife's sister is a radiologist in New York City. So the two of them went online and did a lot of research and found out, hey, here in Los Angeles, there are actually a number of urologists who are really good, lucky to be living in a city with great hospitals. That's for really, sure. Really, all over the place, exactly. Yeah. So uh, the two of them found a couple of good candidates. So I went to see them, and they were great. They were all terrific. They were uh they were not as arrogant and cocky as my first guy, but now I'm thinking that's probably a good thing, right? They all said, you know, we think we can get this out of you. It's a little tricky, but I think it can be done. And then, by the way, there are all sorts of interesting treatments uh, post-op to take care of your cancer, make sure it doesn't come back. So we found a guy we liked a lot at UCLA, a really young guy, as it turns out, who was, you know, kind of quietly confident, not arrogant, and through a lot of... Paperwork, logistical work, it's tough to switch uh, doctors hmm. uh, in this day and age. We got over to this other plan to jump plans, to get to a new plan to get to this guy. And this guy, he took care of it. He got rid of the, he got rid of the tumor in my bladder and then started me on a pretty innovative uh, therapy program. I got a little chemo, not much at all, though, no radiation, and something I could talk about called immunotherapy. Right, which yeah. was kind of nutty, but worked really well. And, and here I am six years later, cancer-free. Right. Well, that is one of the directions that cancer research is really moving in, immunotherapy. Yeah, really interesting. So it turns out that um, of all the things out there, because you know the thing about cancer is you have a tumor and that's bad, you want to get rid of it, and then you want to make sure it doesn't come back because it's likely to return, right? That's the, that's the really awful part about it. One thing out there that has been found to keep bladder cancer from returning, of all things, is the tuberculosis virus. Kind of crazy, right? Wow. So as part of my immunotherapy, 
I signed on for this. So what it meant is once a week for six or eight weeks, I would see this doctor and he would pump my bladder full of the tuberculosis virus, which I would hold as long as I can until I had to, you know, pee it out of my system. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> it totally worked. So since then, I've been cancer-free. The, the funny wrinkle to this immunotherapy, which, like I said, was really successful for me. I don't know if it would work for everybody so well. Sure. Uh, it comes with a little risk of side effects, mm -hmm. okay? Um, but these were barely mentioned through the process of it. They're like, I think it's like, you know, one out of every thousand men who get this immunotherapy suffer some side effects. So we didn't even really spend that much time on it because the chances of me getting any of them were so slim. Right. Well, about a month into my immunotherapy, I started having um, problems with my joints. My neck started bothering me, and my shoulders and, and elbows started bothering me. So I actually thought I um, started going to an uh, acupuncturist because mm -hmm. um, I had no idea it was related to my cancer. The acupuncture didn't really help. And it got worse and worse until it traveled down my body to my knees and my ankles until I could no longer wear shoes. <laughs> okay. Wow. So I. I, I just, Time to talk to your doctor about it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And uh, so I'm going to work in slippers with a cane. It's like, wow, what the hell's going on? And the doctors, I mean, the, the, they didn't even put two and two together. Um, at first, they thought they had picked up some crazy infectious disease. So after a lot so, of so wait they didn't know that this what was happening to you was a side effect of no the because treatment? it because it's so rare yeah. okay. I think yeah right. I mean one of the things I learned from this you know, particular journey of mine is that though modern medicine is amazing right yes. no really, really there's a lot we don't know there's, that's for sure nobody knows anything so they're kind of figuring it out too but I mean hey they're they're bright and they're making huge strides but there's there's still a lot of mystery out there. So it took him a while to figure out that, oh, wow, you're one of those poor, unlucky guys, you know, the handful out of every 10,000 who get this. Right. And it was a kind of uh, reactive arthritis, okay? So once we knew what was causing it, it was pretty straightforward to knock it out. I got steroids and stuff, and it, it eventually went away. I've got a still, I've got an arthritic uh, ankle hmm. as a result, sort of a residual uh, from all this, but, you know, in hindsight, looking back, you know, to escape cancer with, I just got a lousy ankle, it's not a bad deal. So it sounds like when you initially found out that you had a tumor and that you needed cancer, that you felt pretty confident that it was going to be taken care of right I, away? Or how did, how did you feel when you got that, that first bit of news? Uh, you know, I don't want to say I was in denial I um, I knew I was a healthy guy. I'm not an old guy. I certainly wasn't old then. I had pretty good health care. Um, I'm an optimist by nature. And I'm also the kind of guy who, you know, was raised in a family that if there's an obstacle in your path, you work your way around it, right? If there's a problem, you solve it. So I figured, well, here we go. I've got this problem. Right. And so far, it looks like I've got a pretty good team to help solve it, you know? Yeah, so I, I was scared, of course, but I didn't really... Um, when, the, when the first operation didn't really fix things mm -hmm. and that doctor kind of threw up his hands, then I thought, then I got pretty darn scared, yeah. Right. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you end up with that first doctor? Uh, my insurance sent me to him. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't, you didn't really do research at that point. You just thought, I have this problem. He's the guy. He's the guy, and he was very confident about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, look, he's probably, he might be retired now because he was older. He's not a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, of course not. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And then when you started doing this immunotherapy, Mm -hmm. was it an experimental treatment? It was relatively new. Right. Yeah, Uh yeah. And, And how did you feel about going into this new treatment that involved... I mean, tuberculosis yeah. <laughs> pumped into you. You know what? I it, um, th- th- this uh, my second doctor won me over. Okay, very calm guy, not not given to to bragging or anything at all, but clearly a, a super bright guy. And the fact that my wife and my wife's sister, who's a doctor, mm-hmm. all endorsed this plan, and <laughs> the fact that this plan entailed me keeping my bladder, it's like let's <laughs> let's give this a try. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Because if it didn't work out, who knows? Maybe then it would have led to you know getting the bladder yanked out. Right. Yeah. Did you have any particular coping strategies that you used as you were going through treatment, and you know you were starting to have these um, side effects? You didn't really know what they were. As you said, you were in your slippers with a cane going to work. Um, yeah. No, it was ridiculous. I must say, my wife and I are pretty private people. Yeah, for I don't know what it says about us. We didn't feel the need to, you know, talk about my my illness on Facebook or let everyone know. I, I've actually got a lot of friends who probably don't know I ever I ever had cancer, mm-hmm. and I just think I had just started a new job in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. I remember going to a job interview dinner, wearing a catheter. It was like between treatment sessions, and a catheter. It's like it's like having a bag of urine strapped to your leg. Right. It's pretty uncomfortable. And I remember trying to hide it. Like, who's going to hire a guy wearing a catheter, right? So I just started a new job, and I just didn't want the fact that I was sick in the middle of this thing to be an issue. So, yeah, of course. So we pretty much kept it to ourselves. A few close friends knew about it. My family knew about it. You know, they were all behind me, and and, and that seemed to be enough for me. Mm-hmm. So just having that support of kind of your closest family, was, exactly, was the most helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really, um, I can imagine that uh, doing interviews, starting a new job, and, and being in that kind of situation would have made you feel very vulnerable. Oh, it was crazy. And because I also, I didn't really know what the future held. You know, was, I, was my time up? You know, I didn't know. Did I need to save money for my kids? You know, who knew? Who knew? Yeah, yeah. For a little while, it was a touch and go. And what about, uh, you know, looking back on it, what would you say was the most difficult aspect of that period of time? That moment when we realized that uh, the doctor, as part of my insurance plan, wasn't going to cut it, and we needed to switch, which is tricky. It's it's tough. Um, was this darkest moment mm. by far? Yeah, yeah. Once we found another doctor and we got cleared to go work with them through insurance, we I felt like we we're on the right path. What were some of the things that you were worrying about when you were? making the switch, wondering if you were going to find the right doctor, wondering whether you were going to have to pay for it out of pocket. I mean, what was... Yeah, or, or not be allowed, or, hey, maybe I'd be lucky enough to go to this new doctor, and then he would reach the same conclusion, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and look, it happens to lots of... I'm, people probably lose their bladders every day and manage to, you know, keep going. Of, of course you would, but... Um, it seemed a little grim at the time, you know. I'm pr- I'm, pr- I'm pretty lucky yeah. to have escaped this so um, you know, easily in retrospect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you underwent and finished treatment several years ago, as you said. What's been your post-treatment 
experience. You talked about a little bit of arthritis in your in your foot. Are there any other issues that you faced? No, another issues, and and now I'm at the point because I've been cancer free for a while now. I go in once a year for a pretty thorough checkup, and that's it. Yeah, I know I, my left ankle bothers me, but it, that's not a very big deal. No, I'm I'm in good shape. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate. And when you go in for the checkups once a year, um, do you? feel anxious about it? Do you feel like it's pretty pro forma? How are you, how do you handle that? It's pro forma, but there's always anxiety involved. Oh, absolutely. Because you never know, right? Yeah, oh shit, it could come back. Right. I don't know what the percentages are, how often it does come back. But um, yeah, no, there's always a little anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I will lie on the, the little gurney, whatever it's called. While they're scoping me out, and oh, I do. I'll try. I'll try to go back in time as far as I can, and think of uh, memories involving my kids, just to pass the time. Mm-hmm. And so far, it's worked. Right. Well, that's a good coping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep you, keep you calm. So I read uh, that you consider yourself to be a creative risk taker. Has this experience affected your worldview or how you experience life or what you prioritize? Uh, yeah, th- throughout the course of my career, I've always been interested in. in uh, um, I'm, I, I work on the creative side of advertising, worked in entertainment, and I think a big part of staying current and fresh in that world is learning new things and experimenting and challenge yourself to uh, you know try the unknown. Uh, so as a consequence, I've I've had a number of different jobs in that regard. I've written for TV and film. I've tried my hand at directing, and like I said, I've written and produced a lot of TV commercials. I think, if anything, the cancer um, experience has made me even more like that because, I mean, this is a bit of a cliche, but it, it lets you know loud and clear that, you know, or that there's a ticking clock. You're not, you're not going to be around forever. So if there's anything you want to do, you gotta, you better go try it. Have there been any particular things that you've been led to do that you've gone out and tried? And my wife and I are now empty nesters and we're a little more adventurous than we've been. You know, we've done a lot of outdoorsy stuff, whitewater rafting and skiing and stuff. But I, I wish I had a better example. Yeah, I haven't gone skydiving or anything. <laughs> Maybe I should. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'm never going to. I mean, that. the one thing, this is another cliche, but it's true. Like, like all cliches, you really do learn to, uh, to appreciate the simple things like a beautiful California day or, you know, a fun afternoon with your kids. I mean, the little things have, have, are, um, have huge impact, as well they should. Right. And you find you don't need as much as crap and stuff as you might have thought you did, you know, clothes, I don't know, you know, yeah. technology, oh. equipment, anything. The Kind of the material. Exactly, all the goods. material stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned your uh, wife and your children a few times. Um, how has the experience affected your personal life and your family? I feel like I've always had a very good ma- a marriage. This experience certainly brought me uh, closer to my wife. I really appreciate it with her, you know, for, for everything she did for me and to know that she's looking out for me. So we, as a result, are closer than ever. Oh, what did I, I'd like to know what impact it had on my kids. When I got sick, my kids were little. They were in grade school, and they were certainly aware of it. I don't know if they understood the, the significance of it, the import of it. Right. Yeah. 
So you've had a highly varied professional career working as an, as you mentioned, as an advertising creative director, writing for film and television, directing commercials. Has the experience uh, with cancer affected your professional work in any way? Not very long ago, I had a, a, a pretty senior job at an ad agency. And you know what? A ways into it, just didn't think it was a good fit for me. Didn't see eye to eye with the people I was working with. So I, I bailed. I left. Uh, and maybe I, if I were younger or hadn't gone through cancer, I would have stuck around longer. You know, So uh, I don't want to say I'm less impatient now, but I'm more willing to cut bait and move on to something new because I know we're not going to be here forever as a result. Mm-hmm. Right. You have that sense of mortality, and so you don't want to waste your time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What steps have you taken toward regaining wellness in the years since your treatment? I try to take good care of myself. I want to stay as healthy as I can. I don't have a strict diet. But, you know, I exercise a lot and try to, you know, live as healthily as I can. Mm-hmm. At one point uh, in, my, in my cancer story, I did check out some support groups. But I, I hate to admit this. I, I found them kind of um, grim. Mm-hmm. When I was going through the worst of my particular journey... And now I, I, I don't know, I still I make donations to them. All. I guess it's a little out of guilt that I'm not more supportive of them. But And when you yeah. say that you found them to be grim, what, what was it that you just didn't want to be around? You know, for a while it was touch and go for me. Like I might have to give up one of my body organs. And, and I would go on these support sites for, uh, you know, solace, support. And find stories of like, oh, here's this guy who manages to live a full life without his bladder, and here's a woman doing the same thing. And I think, oh shit, I don't. This is what I want to avoid, mm-hmm. you know. So, I I understand the good of it, and I, I I get all that, and feel a little guilty about what I'm saying. But at that moment in time, for me, it wasn't helpful. Yeah, no. I mean, the proximity can be the proximity to the thing that you're really trying to avoid. Yep. Just. Could yeah. be overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What have you, or would you say to somebody who was at the beginning of the cancer experience? I would say get a second opinion, no matter what. Um, you're always better off. Get a third opinion. Um, the more you know, the better off you'll be. Uh, make sure bring in your spouse, and if you're not married, your partner or a close relative or friend who can be your co-pilot because it can be tough when you're in the middle of this. It's, it's, um, it's overwhelming and scary and you're not at your best, but you really do need to do, uh, um, a bit of homework and research to just so you understand what your doctor's talking about. And so you can decide what's best for you because you as always, but in this case, more than ever are the captain of your own destiny. Um, and it really, really helps to have a doctor in the family. So, <laughs> so if you're not married yet. <laughs> exactly. I, it's so invaluable. Oh, my gosh. That would be my advice to you. <laughs> Marry someone who is a doctor or has a doctor in the family. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Charlie. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. It was fun. Thanks. During our conversation, Charlie talked about the immunotherapy he received as part of his treatment for bladder cancer. The treatment he received is called 
Bacillus Calmet Garin therapy. Bacillus Calmet Garin, known as BCG, is the main immunotherapy for treating early stage bladder cancer. BCG is a germ that is related to the one that causes tuberculosis, but it doesn't usually cause serious disease. That's it for today's episode. Please subscribe to Real Cancer wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us via Twitter at RealCancerPod and email us at RealCancerPodcast at gmail.com. If you know of someone who'd be a terrific guest, I'd love to know about it. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel.